0: Hi, I'm Will Schwalbe, and this is But That's Another Story. I've been thinking a lot about biceps recently, in part because spring is finally here. It was a long winter with three, yep, three nor'easters on the East Coast. We just had our first nice day, and many of my fellow New Yorkers are already out on the streets showing off their buff biceps. I guess I know where they spent the winter, hitting the gym, lifting weights. That's the thing about biceps. Biceps. You need to work hard to get them and keep them. I may have some work to do there. I've also been thinking a lot about empathy. Now I can't prove this, but I'm pretty sure that the most empathetic people in my life are all readers. When you read, you're really listening to another person. You can't interrupt. You can't change the words on the page. And listening to someone else, page after page, chapter after chapter, is like walking many miles in their shoes. Reading helps you exercise your capacity for empathy. And the harder you work at it, the stronger it grows. I like to think about it this way. Libraries are really gyms for the soul, and books are the free weights that help you build empathy instead of muscles. So from now on, when I say I'm going to the gym, I'm going to leave it a bit ambiguous. Maybe I'm going to pump some iron. Maybe I'm going to crack some books. No matter which, I'll come out stronger. And recently, I got to talking about the empathy muscles you can build through reading with today's guest. Hi, I'm Josh Gondelman. I'm a writer, stand-up comedian, and a comedy writer for Last Week's Night with John Oliver. It's pretty likely that Josh Gondelman has made you laugh before. Whether making jokes on Twitter or for The New Yorker, he does the kind of comedy that makes you laugh, but also makes you think, wow, what a nice nerd. That's a characterization that has hung around since he was a kid growing up just outside of Boston.
1: I had a screech kind of vibe in that I hung out with people and had friends while having like big curly hair and being generally a dork. I think it was a friend's mom started calling me that and then it just stuck, which is like when grown-ups are giving you your mean nicknames, that's like, that's a, a rough moment as a kid when you're being bullied by adults. <laughs>
0: yes, definitely.
1: I played sports because I think it's mandatory in the greater Boston area, regardless of your aptitude. It's like, well, what else would you be doing? When I was young, like young, young, I would read all the time. I'd read when I was walking places. My taste was like all over the place. I wouldn't even call it taste. (laughs) It was just like what was there. So I read just stuff that I found. My mom has a ton of books. And so I started reading like Lord of the Flies and um, Catcher in the Rye really young. And then I, for some reason, I got into Stephen King, even though I was terrified of all his books. And I didn't like that feeling,
0: but I liked the stories. That enthusiasm for stories only grew as Josh got older. In high school, he performed in school plays and even wrote a play that he submitted to the State Drama Festival. And his more theatrical inclinations would come in handy in one of his first jobs out of college.
1: So when I was 24, it was 2009, I was a professional preschool teacher. I worked with three and a half to five-year-olds. We were the pre-K-2 class, so right before they would leave, those kids would leave for kindergarten. We would do a holiday play every year and a little graduation ceremony that I think we kind of scaled up when I got there because I was like, oh, this is something I could bring to the table because I wasn't, I'm not crafty. And so there is a lot of preschool that's like, let's turn this egg carton into a caterpillar. And I just like didn't, I wasn't good at that, like innovating those kind of things. And so I would do kind of like drama
0: stuff with them. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And Josh was also enjoying exploring something else that he was good at, comedy.
1: My friend Joe Smith, which sounds like an alias, but it's his actual name. He was my friend that was had started doing stand-up and mutual friends had been like, you should also do it. Like, Joe's doing it. Why aren't you doing it? You want to do it. I, I like got bullied into my career. So when I was teaching, these this would be kind of like a typical day. I would get up, often exhausted from being out late, doing stand-up the night before. So I would, on my worst days, when I was like, I, I can't believe I'm dragging myself in, I would like put on a shirt and tie, and then everyone would go, wow, you look great today. And I'd be like, I don't, but I <laughs> uh, tricked you. Then a couple days a week, I would bounce out of there, drive to like the uh, the suburbs and tutor high school entrance exams, SATs for a couple hours in the afternoon and then do shows most nights. It was just like a lot, burning the candle at both ends and then creating a third wick in the middle. I really enjoyed the teaching, I enjoyed the the day-to-day, but I was kind of like, I was starting to get this feeling. It was coming on where I was like, I think I can do more with this other stuff, with the comedy stuff and the writing ambition that I had. And I, I was like starting to get a little itchy to see, to kind of take a shot at that.
0: Was there a day that you woke up and said, I got to give this thing a try?
1: I think it just kind of was blossoming little by little. And I had friends that were kind of succeeding more. I had friends that had moved to New York, friends that had moved to LA. And 2009 was kind of like, it was almost the exact middle
0: between professional and recreational. Josh decided to take a road trip across the country with a comedian friend. A sort of research and development mission for his comedy career.
1: I wasn't, like, making a lot of money on this trip. I think the one weekend that I got paid for, I lost the check, and then by the time I went to deposit it, it was, like, no longer valid. (laughs) So it was mostly, like, an investigation.
0: To save up money for the trip, he moved back in with his parents briefly, and found himself with a bit more time on his hands than usual.
1: One thing I really like, but I never make the time to read, is like just giant books.
0: And there was one book that had been recommended to him over and over again, David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest.
1: I saw it in a bookstore. There was like a big paperback edition with... Uh, a foreword by David Eggers, whose work I liked, so that kind of hooked me in. And the foreword, I was, like, very intrigued by it. David Eggers wrote, I'm a writer, so normally when I read a book, even if it's something that I would never have thought to write or didn't have the technical ability to write, I, I would view it like, Uh, a mechanic looking at a car like you have the general ability to understand what makes it work and open it up and put it back together and he said when I read this book for the first time it was like peering under the hood of a spaceship essentially I don't know what makes this go but it's like a wondrous thing
0: When we come back from the break Josh goes for a ride in that spaceship Josh Gondelman was 24 years old and embarking on a career in comedy when he picked up David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest. And though the book had a significant impact on him, he has no illusions about the novel's reputation. When we asked you to, to choose a book to talk yeah. about, a book that changed oh, yeah. you or, or moved you or affected your life, you were a little hesitant yeah, well, it to feels choose like such Jest.
1: a uh, It feels like such a cliché, just like such a... like bald white guy with glasses. Like, of course, I like that. And of course, I've seen They Might Be Giants live in concert several times. And of course, my Jewish friends and I were very into the Wu-Tang Clan in our early teens and continually. It just feels like one of those things It's like,
0: oh, yeah, obviously. The novel is a sprawling story set just outside of Boston, near where Josh used to live. There are many intersecting plots, there's a tennis academy, there's a rehab facility, there's some radical Canadian politics, but it's perhaps best known for its elaborate end notes. But Josh says those aren't what he remembers most about Infinite Jest. I think a lot
1: of the things that people like about David Foster Wallace's writing are not necessarily my favorite parts. I think people get really into how much of a virtuoso he is which i think is true and i think it's like really dazzling but the way that people get wrapped up in that is maybe what gives it kind of the like of course i would say that but i think there's like so much heart and heartbreak in infinite jest that people don't talk about as much and it really like moved me I really think it made me, like, by 10%, a better human person. I just think, like, the the way that addiction and depression were described in that book, it was just a way that, like, reached me really specifically and was a kind of descriptive experience that I hadn't had as much exposure to.
0: Growing up in the late 90s and early aughts, Josh says he received the typical just-say-no spiel in health class.
1: It was kind of practical. You know, I, there was a lot of don't-do-drugs, which is fine. And, and there was still, like, this is what drug addiction looks like. It ruins your life, and you do things you wouldn't otherwise do, and it, it destroys your body. Like, I remember seeing, you know, you'd get pictures of brain scans, and you'd be like, after you've do, done ecstasy once, your brain has giant holes in it. And you go, oh, that's scary. I had friends that were drinking underage, and I was just like, oh, no, I've been told that's bad. Like, I didn't really drink until my, like, mid-20s, partly because I drove everywhere for stand-up, but partly because I was just like, well, I don't need to get mixed up with this.
0: And though those fear-based health classes may have worked on him, Josh says the education was incomplete.
1: I was very fortunate not to have worse information from my health classes I think like so many people grow up getting just like the worst urban legend whatever you want to call it uh like experiences uh uh descriptions of that that like where you get no kind of um compassion from it you know you get that sense of like you don't want anything bad to happen to people but you go oh that guy's kind of a fuck up and that's like something that Happens sometimes, and like it's unfortunate when it happens, but you don't get the full sense of what a tragedy that is on an individual basis.
0: But reading Infinite Jest changed that for Josh.
1: I definitely knew people who were struggling with drug addiction and drug use, and like, but it just was the kind of thing where you'd go, Oh, that's such a shame that that happened. Right. Like, oh, I'm, I feel bad that their life is in a bad place because of this. And like, hopefully they can get it right. And, and, and that's like a totally fine, to me, a totally fine start. Right. Like, that's where it, that's not the be all end all, though. It's like, oh, shoot, what they're up against is not like a series of bad choices necessarily. It's like a pathology that, that's biological and psychological and that like, it must really hurt to feel like you're fighting and failing all the time or to not even see that that's a possibility to fight against this certainly i've I've lost classmates um one recently you, see, you know people that I'm often people that I've been out of touch with, but you see on Facebook and you're like, oh shit man, I used to go to you know we'd have a half day from school and we would go to Burger King together in a group and like. And and it's like, I feel more, even more than like the sadness of the loss because we're not we haven't been close, but like, just a a real um, ability to sympathize with like the conditions that led to that. Infinite Jest was, I think, the first time that I really um was immersed in a work of art that made me go, oh, in addition to these like physical the physical degradation and the danger of depression, there's also like a lot of pain. So that it kind of like extent it like expanded my understanding uh of that whole arena and and I just, like, there's just, like, a, a compassion that I w- that it engendered in me that, not like I was a callous person before, but just, like, I knew so much more. It, like, was a, the
0: emotional side of that education. And that education has also had an effect on Josh's career. I definitely think that the book informs the, the work that I do, the comedy um,
1: and writing that I do. I'm often described as a nice person, and actually, I think nice is fine. Like it's it's I I value niceness, but like I'm now as a, a grown person, I value goodness above that, um, because it, it like niceness doesn't change anything, and goodness changes things. But it's not like I'm like, well, I can be kind of a dickhead as long as I'm like giving to charity and going to march it. You know, I don't. I, that's not something I believe uh, about myself, certainly. But I think this book kind of like blew the lid off of what I saw as my potential for myself, even. I think my jokes were nice, and they were probably cleaner back then when I started I probably cursed less and talked about sex less or you know adult themes but I think that reading Infinite Jest kind of was part of the progression from going to like clean to like more sincere and more open-hearted comedy. I think it made my work a lot richer too, to like have hold that as a value instead of like oh nice clean jokes about nice fun things, but to me to instead be like oh jokes that like try to demonstrate goodness more, and, and even if that take there's a little more edge to it or a little more like grit to what I'm talking about because like just being nice and polite, you sometimes avoid getting into the Guts of what's real, and I I think that it showed me that more was possible. If it seems daunting and the reputa- I and the reputation is that it's like opaque and there's no point of entry, I think it's a very pleasurable reading experience and a very worthwhile reading experience in a in a heart way and not just like. Uh, a masturbatory intellectual, like, I read the longest book with the least satisfying uh, storylines. You know, like, I I don't have a lot of stake in that. I like when things kind of, uh, I want everything. I told my wife this recently. I was like, I just want everything to be born to run. (laughs) Like, I just want everything to be, like, big and full of feelings and, like, get stuck in your head and fun. And, and And this book, like, pushed all my buttons in a way that people don't give it credit for being those
0: things so this is the bruce springsteen born to run of novels yeah it's
1: like big and everything's in it and Saxophone. it's sax yeah like and then bells you're like who does bells
0: but that's another story is a production of Macmillan podcasts thanks to josh gondelman you can find him on twitter at josh gondelman and here's Jokes Every Sunday on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. If you're enjoying our work, please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. It really helps others discover the program. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If there's a book that changed your life, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at anotherstory@macmillan.com. We'll be back with our next episode in two weeks. I'm Will Schwalbe. Thanks so much for listening.